Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> Good. Um, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles and your phones or whatever to John chapter 11, <coughs> Timothy, um, Paul encourages Timothy to read Scripture publicly. And uh, today we're just going to read through um, this story to get to the I Am. So we're going to start at John chapter 11, verse 1. While you're looking for it, I'm just going to ask for God's help. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us here in our worship. Now we ask you, Father, take these words and inspire our hearts and provoke our spirit, Lord Jesus. As we sang in that last song, break my heart for what breaks yours, everything for your kingdom. Father, come, Lord, take these words and move us on in your purposes. <clears throat> and in the Christmas spirit, we'll begin much like the Christmas carol. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Wasn't dead yet. He was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You can read about that a little earlier. So, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are brothers and sisters. Lazarus is sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It's very interesting Jesus had friends. He had his 12 disciples, and if you were outside, you probably looked in and thought, those are his favorite three, Peter, John, and James, because he always took them with him. Later on, there's a disciple called the one that Jesus loved. And here, Jesus loved Lazarus and his sisters. Jesus had friends. Now, the great thing is we are all his friends. But Jesus was a human. He was God and he was human. And we all need friends with us. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. <clears throat> Lazarus is sick. Jesus loves Lazarus. And yet, he says, it's okay, this sickness is not going to end in death. And the sickness is for God's glory. You know, we live for the glory of God. And sometimes... God will allow things to happen to us to get his glory. And he doesn't always look after us in the way that we feel is necessary. He lets us go through trials, challenges and difficulties. It's not because he doesn't like us, because he loved, Jesus, loved, loved Lazarus. It's because his purpose is to get glory for God. So Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. 
No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. <clears throat> Just a little aside here. Sometimes... Jesus was moved with compassion to heal the sick. He saw people who were sick and he, oh, I'll pray for them. I'll see them healed. He saw a widow's son being carried in his coffin and it says, moved with compassion, he raised him from the dead. So the widow wasn't left alone. Sometimes Jesus moved with compassion immediately and straight away. Other times, he's got a sick friend and he says, no, I'm not going. I'm going to wait two days. And when we, when we sort of sang that line, break my heart for what breaks yours, sometimes I think we break our hearts for maybe things that God isn't breaking his heart for. And sometimes we move with compassion when Jesus wouldn't have moved with compassion. And we rush to solve problems. But Jesus here waited two days, and it's just worth hearing that and bearing that in mind. For when things are going wrong for people, that sometimes God is going to get more glory by waiting a while. It's not a pleasant thought, because we, we want God to step in straight away. But sometimes the glory of God is at the end of the story, which takes a little while to come. Then after two days, he said to, dis said to his disciples, okay, back to Judea, we're going to Lazarus. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews, were, you, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, they have no light. We'll come back to that probably a bit later. After this, he, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> As I, I'm going to try and put this nicely. Lazarus has fallen asleep. Oh, great, he'll get better. And then Jesus comes and says, no, he's dead. Da, da, da. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. And <laughs> sometimes you, get, you just get the feeling that the disciples, sort of Jesus leaves the pause, and the disciples think, we've got to fill this. Jesus has just said, Lazarus is dead, we're going to him. Oh, if Lazarus is dead, then we must be going to die. Great, let's go and die with him without thinking about the consequences of what that might mean for them. So, off they go. On his arrival, 
Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now what's interesting here is sort of some of the local tradition was that when you died, your spirit hang, hung around for three days just to make sure you were looked after well. That was local tradition, that's not a truth. Um, that's just what they thought. So Jesus had deliberately left it four days so everybody knew not only was Lazarus dead, he really was dead. So everybody knew that Lazarus was dead. <clears throat> now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's just letting her feelings out. She's going to say in a minute that she knows that Jesus is the Messiah. But she comes to Jesus and she knows, we sent a message in time. If you'd come here, you could have prayed for Lazarus. He wouldn't have died. He was she was letting out her feelings to the person she knew was God. Can I just encourage us? We sang again today. <laughs> we don't care about you, God, knowing all our fears and failings except the ones we don't want to tell you about. <laughs> except the ones we'd rather like keep hidden, both from you and from other people. Bad news is you can hide nothing from God. You can do it from other people. But transparency is best. So she just says to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would be alive. And you catch something of the pain and the pathos, is that the word, of that. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask, Martha says to Jesus. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And when we think of resurrection, resurrection means bringing back to life that which was dead. Um, it's, some of the Greek behind it is um, you've breathed your last. You're not going to breathe anymore. And resurrection is bringing back that which was dead to life. And Martha's natural instinct is, yeah, it's okay. I know Lazarus will rise again when the dead are all raised. And when we think of resurrection, that's mostly what we think about. We think about what's going to happen after we've died. Jesus comes back, presuming we have died, and we are resurrected to a life in a new heaven and a new earth. And that's the sort of resurrection that most of us think about. And it's important to bear that in mind in that story that that is how we're thinking. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And in saying that, 
One, he is claiming to be God because he makes himself I am, as we've talked about before. But what he is saying is, yes, don't you understand, Martha, the resurrection is here now. You've just said your brother will rise on the last day. I am saying the resurrection is here now, standing in front of you. As we're going to see, there is a resurrection that is for us now that guarantees a resurrection to a new heaven and a new earth in the future. <laughs> we would put a sign saying, do not go on the stage, health and safety, you'll trip over the wires, but it just wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I'm guessing. Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. One who believes in me will never die. Later on, after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension into heaven, the apostles will go out into the world with a glorious message of forgiveness and restoration of relationship to God, which results in a resurrection to eternal life. An eternal life that will be full of glory, full of wonder and full of the unknown because there's very little talked about it. But he said, those who live by, with believing in me, I'll just read the sentence again, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? See, there's a believing in Jesus that guarantees a resurrection. There's a believing and living in Jesus. That means in some ways you never die, in other ways, you're dying every day because you're being transformed daily into the likeness of Jesus. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. One of the interesting things, and I'll try and do it next year, is... <coughs> Particularly for those in the West, death is a very hidden thing. And it's, it's always hard for people to talk about it. Very, very few people have actually seen a dead body. Um, my mother, when I was 14, um, her body was laid out in the front room. And there's lots of English people like, what? <laughs> and she was laid in an open coffin for a week, just in our front room. It's like, who does that? Well, we do. <coughs> and, and death is a very personal, it's a very individualistic thing. 
talk to other people in this room and death is a very public thing and it's a time when huge crowds gather it's a time when people sit in mourning um, you remember Job and his comforters that came and just sat with him in silence for seven days I mean I can't think of anything more awkward than sitting for seven days staring at someone who's not talking to me <laughs> But for some, that is a way of expressing support, help, comfort. And the great thing is, as we grow in cultures, we're going to learn some of these things. Anyway, da -da -da. so we get the crowds. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'd love to know what the whole sentence was, because <laughs> I suspect that's not quite how she said it. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. He has such a love for Lazarus and the sisters, and yet he had waited for Lazarus to die. He'd waited for four days while Lazarus was in the tomb, with all the grief, with all the suffering that that family were going through. Jesus had waited. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved. And the depth of the Greek of the emotion doesn't really come out in deeply moved. It, it, it is a real gut-churning, deep emotional pain, suffering, deep, deep, deep within him. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. I just want you to think of Jesus here. He knows that in a few weeks' time, he will be the other side of that stone. He knows it. And he's able to stand there this time and say, take the stone away. Just wonder what he felt. One day my father is going to send angels and they're going to roll the stone away. And that will be my day of victory. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he's been in there for four days. So this was the sister that had been believing that Jesus could do something. Now Jesus wants to do something. She's saying, hang on a minute, it's going to smell. I know you're the Messiah. I know God will do everything that you ask. But taking the stone away, we're in for a bad smell. 
Here's a lady who's going backwards and forwards. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would you always hear me, but I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. 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 I hope you'll bear with me in this. But I just can't see how Lazarus got out. <laughs> He's lying down, wrapped in cloth, has to bounce off the, t- presumably off a sort of little shelf, and then bounce out. I just wonder whether angels carried him. But Jesus knew that he could get out. He didn't have to go into this tomb. That one was going to come later. But Lazarus comes out. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The resurrection of today had happened. Lazarus, who was clearly dead, was now raised to life. Now, in all of this, Jesus spoke earlier about how this would be towards the glorification of the Son. He knew Lazarus was well-loved. He knew Lazarus lived near Jerusalem. He knew there'd be loads of Jews there comforting and mourning with Mary and Martha. He knew that he had allowed Lazarus to die. He knew that he had made it certain that Lazarus, everybody knew Lazarus was dead. And it goes on to say, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had, and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Some saw this great miracle and said, yes, this is the Messiah. This is the, the saviour of the world. He is here. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting with the Sanhedrin, which is a bit like the Labour Party and the Conservative Party actually getting together to discuss what they can do. What are we accomplishing Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take him away, both our temple and our nation. And then the Caiaphas, the high priest, said, Do you not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish? And at this point, Jesus has effectively provoked the religious leaders into his crucifixion. His ultimate glorification. It was his death that was going to bring the true glory to God. Lazarus's resurrection had been great for Lazarus, had been great for the family, had been great for those who believed in him. But it was pushing ever, ever nearer the true glorification of Jesus and his death. This is one of the things that tipped the balance. Suddenly said, what can we do? The only thing we can do here is to get rid of this guy for the sake of our nation, and so they sent him to the cross. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So he went to the cross, he went to the grave, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven. 
We've talked about resurrection and we've talked about <coughs> how most of us, when we think of it, quite rightly think of a resurrection of new life. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Do we need a resurrection? Does humanity need a resurrection? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. <clears throat> As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Paul is here writing to the church in Ephesus, a church of people who were living and believing in Jesus. And he said, you used to be dead. You used to be dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in, in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. There is a resurrection for today that we live in. There's a resurrection. If you, have, if you don't know God, you are dead in God's sight. But there's a resurrection that can come through believing in Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by work so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. For those of us who know God, we know that there was nothing that we could do to find our way back to God. If you don't know God, there's nothing you can do to get back to God except believing in Jesus. Because it's his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven that has opened the door for us to know Jesus. Now we started Ephesians 2, but we're going back to Ephesians 1. The last two weeks, we heard from Rob about the apostolic vision of the church. God's community on earth. God's glory on earth. Bringing in the kingdom of God. And last week we heard about, from Dave Devonish, David Devonish, the apostolic mission of the church is to fill the whole earth with the glory of God. How do we do it? We do it like this. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church. Um, yeah, we'll start at verse 15. For this reason, 
Ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is evoked, and not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. How can we be the glorious church? How can we be, fulfill the apostolic mission to <clears throat> fill the whole earth with the glory of God? It is by living in the resurrection power that we have here today, which Jesus, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, brought to Lazarus in a physical res resurrection, but has brought to us with a spiritual resurrection into new life, which means we need never really die because our death only leads to life and to do that we need boldness and courage and a recognition that the power is a mighty power because it was the power that raised Jesus from the dead when he'd taken on hell when he'd taken all our wrongdoing when he'd taken all our pain and our suffering on himself the whole judgment of God fell upon him he was dead and buried but God raised him from the dead and has given us that same power amen and what we need now is to grow in courage and boldness because God responds to courage and boldness. I've got to be really quick on this bit. <coughs> when Joshua was told to go into the promised land, he was told, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and very courageous. And we have to find a new courage and a new courage the word I just used, in ourselves, <laughs> courageousness within ourselves. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stood before a huge furnace which they were about to be thrown into, they said this, King, you throw us in there. If our God delivers us, great. If he doesn't, great. We don't care. We're going in. They stepped with boldness and courage. And God, in my experience, never, ever doesn't respond to courage, even when we make mistakes. When I was a, a young Christian and I was reading the Bible and sort of God spoke to Philip and said, Philip, go and meet this person. And Philip got up and went there. I thought, I want that. So one sunny afternoon in my back garden um, at home with my, my parents' house, I prayed, God, just speak to me. Tell me where to go, where to go. So he said to me, go to Hastings, which was that two and a half mile walk, and you will meet this person. So I got up, left the house, and walked down to Hastings. <laughs> and in my mind, I've still got a picture of God saying to Jesus, Okay, that's it. We can leave him for an hour while he does the walk. We'll talk to him on the way back. <coughs> we'll get on with the rest of it. 
So I go down to Hastings. I have a very clear picture of who I'm going to meet. I stand there in the middle of Hastings. I meet no one. I walk back. I can understand why God told me to walk, not ride my bike, because he had never told me any of it. (laughs) I'd made a mistake. And walking back, you just felt failure and failure and failure. But I knew I hadn't really heard the voice of God through that mistake. A few months later, I'm sitting in a Christian coffee bar which we're running with other churches. And I feel God say to me, go and speak to that person. I go back. Hang on a minute. I walked all the way to Hastings and back on this. I thought, this is different. I've learned something about the voice of God. So I went and spoke to him. Didn't know him. 30 minutes later, his eternal destiny was changed because I'd made a mistake and I'd learned the voice of God. I once went with a pastor to pray for a lady who was dying. We're praying for her. pastor gives a prophecy. So I think, oh, well, I probably should give one. <coughs> so I say a few nice words. And I just say, and you'll live. Two days later, she died. Another mistake. But I'm still here. Because <laughs> God responds to our courage. He responds when we step out, even when we make mistakes. This is me, not the word. If you're going to make those mistakes, don't make them with large sums of money. <laughs> So don't give away a lot unless you really know it is God. And the other is, if you're going to prophesy over people, prophesy in twos at least. The best example I had of this was a guy called me over one Sunday and said, can you just hear what this prophecy? And he just prophesied over this girl. You will, she's just off to university. You will meet your husband at university. So each summer she'd come back in tears because she still hadn't met anyone she fancied. Came back at the end of university, more tears because she hadn't met anyone she fancied. Been to university. That was her last chance of marriage because the prophecy was I would meet him. Six months later, she's in tears again. I don't know what to do. I really fancy this guy. But he wasn't at my university. And God said that my husband would be at my university. Now, because I'd heard the prophecy, I knew what was actually said. What was actually said is, you will meet your partner at university. So my next sentence was this. So when did you first see him? And she goes, oh, it was at university. He came to speak at my Christian union. So you met him at university. Six weeks later, they were married. Let's take steps of courage. Let's recognize the power that is within us because of Jesus' resurrection. Let's step out with courage. Let's make a few mistakes. Let God just give us a cuddle because we need it when we make mistakes. We feel worse than he does. And let's see the kingdom of God grow and let's become the church that God wants wants us to be as open door. Amen.
Let's just pray, then we can have tea, coffee, conversation, prayer, and uh, you can go and ke- we can go and collect the children. Father, we thank you for the power of Jesus' resurrection. We thank you that it speaks through eternity. We thank you that his blood is powerful to cleanse, and your spirit is powerful, working within us, transforming us day by day to the glory of Jesus, giving us more insight and knowledge and empowering us to live and fulfill your vision for our lives. Amen.